When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. My name is Jeremy Quintanilla. You are listening to Age of Jeremy. I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm the co-founder of Age of Radio and 3T Fitness, and well, other businesses that I am working on. This podcast is about everything that I learn and the trials and tribulations it took to learn them. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Age of Jeremy. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe to this podcast or subscribe to this podcast. Also, make sure to follow me on Instagram at Age of Jeremy, where you can get some investment news from the leader in financial education. You can also get some investment advice, accounting advice, taxes, and business advice. And if I'm not the leader yet, I will be soon. You got to speak it into existence, right? Also, follow our podcast network, The Age of Radioverse, on Instagram. And uh, we have 100 podcasts, so go ahead and check those out at www.ageofradio.org. Uh, or more specifically, it's www.ageofradio.org forward slash shows. You can also check me out on TikTok at Age of Jeremy and Twitter at Age of Jeremy Q. If you want to be on this podcast and chat, email me at jeremyquintanilla at ageofradio.org. We are looking for small business owners and influencers to share their stories, no matter how small, no matter how big. We love a good story. All right, let's talk about some stuff that you need to know. The most important thing that's happened this last week or last week, I guess, because this should be coming out on Thursday, which is going to be November 4th. Yeah, November 4th, I think it is. Yep, November 4th, this will be coming out. I'm recording this on Saturday the 30th. So this news came out last week, um, and it was Facebook's amazing name change. So it's not Facebook the app that's having the name change. It's Facebook the corporation. Um, So their brands are going to be Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, and Oculus, which they are going all out on Oculus. And um, CNBC came across a great article that I'm going to talk about right now. You can check that out. There will be a description in uh, the link will be in the description of this episode. But in June of 2018, Oculus executive Jason Rubin sent an email to Facebook board member Mark Anderson with the subject line, The Metaverse. Now, we this is how, what the email read. We believe that the right way to break through consumer indifference to virtual reality is to deliver what they expect and want from the medium. Uh, and that medium is the metaverse. Now, this is a 50-page document outlining strategy for building a virtual world. Now, this is a three-year-old document. It was attained by CNBC, and this document laid the foundation for the futuristic ambitions of Meta, which is now what Facebook goes by. Um, So CEO Mark Zuckerberg had an hour-long demo on Thursday, which would have been, I believe, the 28th it was. Yeah, the 28th. 
uh, and it was designed to portray a very different world than the one we currently inhabit. Um, and it's it's at a time when Facebook faces a nonstop barrage of, barrage of negative headlines tied to the addictive nature of its social media products. Now, Zuckerberg told viewers that the company sees the metaverse, which will take five to 10 years to go mainstream, as the next frontier in technology, the place where people will live, work, and play. His presentation came just days after the company announced it's an earnings report that the Reality Labs hardware division will become its own financial reporting segment as of the fourth quarter. So that being said, Facebook is making a very big, important play right now where they're going to be moving forward, focusing on the metaverse. And please excuse my allergies. And so essentially the metaverse, if you're not familiar what the actual metaverse means, um, it, 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 it's starting to take on a different meaning depending on how you're looking at it. But in in essence, the metaverse is an iteration of the internet part of a shared virtual reality, and it's often as a form of social media. The metaverse is a broader, in a broader sense may not only refer to the virtual worlds operated by social media companies, but the entire spectrum of augmented reality, okay? And so if you've ever seen the movie Ready, Ready Player Run, that's a perfect example of what a metaverse is. Now, I do have an Oculus. I am actually waiting for, or I guess not waiting for, but try, I would like to get a HoloLens. I think Microsoft's focus on augmented reality is super important. And I think when companies do this, like Facebook saying that they're going to change their name to Meta, they're really putting their um, eggs in the basket of us living in an, uh, a virtual reality world, right? And, and, and interacting with each other socially in virtual reality, right? That that's going to push a lot of competition, and so one of the things that I, that it's it's really good in business is it's always good to have competition because competition is a way to speed things up. Uh, the problem arises when that competition becomes unhealthy, and and businesses do things that are inappropriate, where they so they can focus on that profit. So one of the things that I would recommend if you were a business owner is to look at where your your um, I guess. Um, your competitors are at, see what they're doing, see that how it relates to you and see what you're focusing on. The other thing that you could do is just focus on yourself and just keep getting better and better and better and better at what you're doing and you will outpace your competitors uh, anyway, in my in my opinion and from my experience. Uh, but, I, but I do think it's important to kind of know where, what they're doing. But I think that this is going to really ramp up Microsoft and other technology companies focus on this augmented reality or this virtual reality. And so, so the difference, if you're not sure, if you're not aware, is virtual reality is when you have the headset on and there's a screen that's in front of you and it shows you stuff. Augmented reality is like Pokemon Go where you're seeing things in the real world that like if, 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 if in Pokemon Go you take that out the background and you're looking and you see like your street and then there's a uh, and then there's a Pokemon, that would be augmented reality. So HoloLens is by Microsoft, and they're really focusing on augmented reality, where we're seeing things in real life, like the computer screen. It's in actual real life, but we're able to, to uh, manipulate it with our hands because of the way that the lens is seeing everything that's in front of you. And I am really excited about that. But I think that hence I think that this is a really big play. Now I'm not really excited about I'm not super big fan of Facebook. In fact, if it wasn't for businesses and me wanting to I guess interact with other people, um uh, that are that are further away. I probably wouldn't have anything to do with Facebook. Um, and what I mean by that is like, I would definitely not have anything to do with Instagram. Um, but uh, Facebook uh, is how I, I interact with groups. And I think groups are super, super important. And I think if they're integrating those groups into virtual reality, and we can get the cost of the virtual reality down, I think that this will be a great way for people to communicate with each other um, 
in in um in the virtual world uh from distance and i think that that's that's super important and and i'm really excited to see where this goes but that being said i'm really in in I'm really involved with the metaverse in general. Not only the fact that I have an Oculus and that I do research on some of these companies, but some of the cryptocurrency games and the things that you can buy with cryptocurrency like land inside of games, um, like uh, uh, Avagachi. If you've never heard of Avagachi, go look it up. The, the coin that Avagachi has is Ghost. And we... Um, and this last week, they actually dropped some land and uh, just seeing the price of this land go and it's land inside of the game. It's like virtual land and people are paying thousands and thousands of dollars. I think the highest bid on one of the largest portions of land was $90,000. That is crazy. And as they and they as they create more of these RPGs where you can go and buy lands inside of that game and those lands are, you know, tied to the blockchain for not only the value purpose of it, but to show who the owner is and it's inside of a a wallet, then that's really exciting because that means that there's going to be more assets that we can own in a virtual space. And maybe depending on how that cost goes, that can be open to more and more people. Um, but my guess is that most of the capitalists are going to capitalize on it and then that would ruin it for everybody. But that's just my opinion. So that being said, uh, this kind of goes into what I want to talk about today, because that is singly the most important thing that happened last week, in my opinion, was Facebook going meta because it's going to create competition uh, and we're going to be moving much faster into the metaverse, which is one of two things that I think is, is going to build the future, that and then the space race. Um, and not only just the space race to get into space, but space in the sense that we're going to want to create colonies inside of space. There's going to need to be de depots on your way to different planets in space, there's going to be larger, there's going to be an entertainment sector that's inside of space. And I think that if you as a business owner, or as a entrepreneur, or as an, a designer, or an invent, uh, inventor, you have anything that can focus on those types of things, I would say really start spending all of your time right now doing it. Because in the long run, I believe that that will pay off. And that also goes for the metaverse. So that being said, what are some of the things that, uh, uh, what are some of the things that I want to talk about today is cryptocurrency, or I guess the main thing that I want to talk about today is going to be cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency. It's really about time that you got into cryptocurrency, and that's why I named it. It's about time you bought crypto. So let's talk about the blockchain. So 2020 was a really big year for crypto and into 2021. Now, there were also a lot of bad things about crypto that a lot of people said. Big names like Jamie Dimon came out in 2021. Jamie Dimon's the CEO of Chase. He believes that Bitcoin is worthless. But here's the thing. Is cryptocurrency worthless or is it possible that people really don't understand how it works? I think it. I think that it, it, it can be both depending on um, where we're going down that avenue. But I don't think Bitcoin is worthless. Bitcoin is a digital gold Kinda, and that's what I traditionally call it, that it's digital gold. That being said, cryptocurrency will not be going away, at least not in my opinion. However, again, I believe the reason people are skeptical about cryptocurrency as a whole is because people really, really don't understand it. So my goal in today's episode is to hopefully provide some clarity on what cryptocurrency is and some of the reasons I think that you should be investing in them. But before I want to get started, I am not a financial advisor. I don't have a Series 65. Um, if you reach out to me, maybe we could talk a little bit about cryptocurrencies and things that I would recommend. We also at 3T Fitness, uh, 3T Warrior Academy, you can go to 3tacademy.com, 3tfitness.com, um, and you will be able to see the academy that we have. Um, we have over a 
thousand members. I think maybe possibly over two thousand members right now in that academy. There's fitness, lifestyle, um, motivation, and of course there is uh, how to build generational wealth. And one of the ways that a lot of our members, from twenty to twenty-one, have built uh, to begun to build that generational wealth is with cryptocurrency, and that's why cryptocurrency is such an important part of it. But I do not. I want to say that I'm not endorsing any cryptocurrency in this specific episode. I'm not a financial advisor. Always reach out for financial advice from a licensed advisor if you want investing advice. These are just my opinions, and I hope that you enjoy them. So how did I get involved with cryptocurrency? That's where I want to start. It somewhat started in 2017. So Coach JV, my business partner, and I had started our first company, which was called JV Impacts. It was a motivational company, like a Tony Robbins type of thing, but we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Now, while trying to get the Coach JV podcast off the ground, I came up with the concept for Age of Radio, and this really skyrocketed in my entrepreneurial spirit. So I started to do research some other ideas around that time for passive income. Now, I came across Ethereum miners, and that was the first time that I deep dived into crypto but unfortunately, I didn't even get into crypto at that time because I didn't have money to buy anything. But I wish that I had, though, because I think in 2017, Ethereum was less than $100 or right over $100 or bouncing back and forth between $100. And as of this recording, it's in the, the low 4,000s. And I do have Ethereum. It's probably or it is my largest holding is an Ethereum. Um, and again, not really endorsing, just saying that that's my what what I currently have most of my um, cryptocurrency in now. Fast forward to 2020 and the COVID-19 and the COVID-19 pandemic had shut down our 3T fitness personal um, center. And so if you're not aware, if this is your first time listening to this, we have a fitness center in Mesa, Arizona. Um, look it up if you're in town and come and stop by and see Coach. I'm not there all the time. So you can bother Tom and Kevin and uh, Dustin and all the other people that are there. Sometimes I think Jackie's there a lot. She's our re- one of our research assistants. Uh, not a research assistant, research analyst, sorry. So we, so Coach JV went all in on that online academy, and that's really, really skyrocketed our 3T fitness business, um, was because of the online academy, because we had a larger reach, and we have such a high um, social media presence. Uh, if you want to go and check out Coach JV, you can go to TikTok, and that's Coach JV underscore on TikTok, where we have, I think, a million followers, or 900,000, or 800,000, or somewhere along those lines. Now, what I'm not sure of is who introduced John to cryptocurrency, um, but he was introduced at, at the right time. It was a perfect time because the world exploded into that cryptomania throughout 2020 into 2021. And we're really starting to see that come up again now that we're at the end of 2021 and we're going on a bull run. Now, he built a crypto portfolio that everyone wanted to know about. So Coach JV built that into that online model that I was telling you about. So when people sign up for the Academy, they are given access to our Mighty Networks platform, our private Discord, Coach JV's crypto portfolio, and Coach JV's exit strategy. And again, if you want to learn more and you don't want to sign up right away, you can also check out the 3T Warrior uh, YouTube channel. Now, Coach JV dived into everything crypto speculation. Now, what I mean by that is that he focused on buying and selling crypto to turn a profit, whether that coin went up or down. If you're new to crypto, sometimes people refer to the cryptocurrencies as coins. So moving forward, I might refer to that crypto as cryptocurrency, crypto, or coins. So if you hear people mention coins, it means cryptocurrencies. If you hear people say shit coins, it refers to coins that don't have any intrinsic value. And I will be touching on that a little later in this episode or in one of the the later episodes after this. The most important of these coins that Koshivi talked about was XRP from a project known as Ripple, which we will eventually come back to Ripple in uh, this episode or into another episode, depending on where we land and how many episodes we turn this concept into or where we go from that. 
Now, I am always late to the party, just in general in my life. I move at the slow pace of a tortoise or of a boar when it comes to activating on things. And I don't like putting my money behind something I don't fully understand. The reason why I was intrigued with ether mining was that I would be part of the crypto part of the cryptocurrency. So if you're not familiar, crypto stands for cryptography. Now, I like that, but what I've never been a fan of, whether even with my regular investing, is just completely investing on special speculation alone. I think of speculation in this way. Speculation is when people think something is going to increase in value without any understanding of why it will increase in value, or it is going to continue to increase in value without having any utility. Let's take the infamous Dogecoin. Dogecoin got very popular in 2020 and 2021 due to the fact that it increased in value. Other than the Doge wallet, there is no reason why anyone would use Dogecoin because at the time it wasn't accepted anywhere. So its value to continue to go up because people thought that the value would continue to go up but it had no actual use. Now, Mark Cuban, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, started accepting it as currency in the Maverick stadiums, but would use it if they kept thinking it, but no one really used it because they wanted it to continue to go up. So no actual use was created. And when the 2021 crash hit Dogecoin, it went from 0.77 cents and down to, as of the writing of this podcast, it's at 0.25. It was at 24 cents, I think. And then I'm just looking it up right now so I can give you the exact price of Doge. I think it's close to like 26 or 27 points as of the actual recording of this on October 30th. Uh, Yes. So if we look at Doge right now, it's at uh, 20.2684. So uh, 0.20. Sorry, 26 cents, 26 cents. We'll call it 26, 27 cents. Okay, so now in my thinking or in my opinion, this is a that's an example of uh, speculation. So in 2020, when Coach was starting, I thought I would see where it would go. And well, that was a huge fucking mistake. Now, one of the coins, XRP, went from around, I think, 17 cents, and it is hovering around $1.12 as of this writing, which was a couple weeks before the recording of it on October 30th. So go look up XRP and see how much it is. Now, I attempted to get into the XRP action after I realized how important the technology was uh, and how important it would become, but I was too late. The SEC filed a lawsuit against Ripple and you can no longer buy XRP in the US during, uh, in the meantime. Now, there are some workarounds, but you can go research them if you would like to buy XRP. Once I decided there was quite a large uh, utility in these technologies, I put a portfolio together that has served me well. And again, this is just my portfolio. I'm giving it for informational purposes. I'm not saying that you should go out and buy these. And here are the coins that I have in no particular order. So I have Ether, which is from Ethereum. I have BTC, which is from Bitcoin. I have XLM, which is from Stellar. I have Atom, which is from Cosmos. I have ADA, which is from a project called Cardano. I have LTC, which is from a project called Litecoin. I have ENJ from a project called Engine. I have CRO from a project called Crypto.com, which is also a currency exchange. I have Auto, um, I have, I think it's Auto, Auto from Audius, which is a music platform. I have VET or VET from Vtage and Doge. Yes, I do own Doge for fun because it was so cheap, but I think it, but I actually think that one day it will make it to a dollar. Um, but, you know, because people are irrational and that's the one that they understand. So they're going to go and see what they see other people having, especially if you see Elon Musk uh, tweeting out a couple weeks ago that he owns um that, that, that his holdings are Bitcoin, Ether, and um, Dogecoin. Now, Shiba Inu is another coin that I have, um, and it's really the same reason that I have Doge is because it was so cheap, so I was like, whatever, I'll just buy some of it. Now, 
Was I too late to the party in 2020 slash 2021? I do think that I was too late to that party, but I'm not going to be late to the next bull run. And I'm probably going to be involved with this the rest of my life because it's something that I truly believe in decentralizing currency. Now, that being said, what made me change my mind on the, the utility piece of it um, is because of the fact that it, so, so the reason why I changed my mind on the utility of it is because when I looked at companies like Stellar, when I looked at companies like Atom, when I actually started using the engine system for ENJ, I saw that these were things that you could be actually doing. And that's when I got a, a much better understanding. But before I go into some of even the other utilities that you can use for it, I want to kind of make sure that you have a really good understanding of cryptocurrency. Now, to understand cryptocurrencies, you have to understand what a blockchain is um, and, the, and because cryptocurrencies rely on that blockchain. And so here's a little clip that's going to explain that blockchain. The blockchain is an undeniably ingenious invention, the brainchild of a person or group of people known by the pseudonym Satoshi Nakamoto. But since then, it has evolved into something greater. The main question everyone's asking is, what is blockchain? Originally devised for the digital currency Bitcoin, the tech community has now found many other uses for the technology. To date, the total value of Bitcoin is close to 150 billion US dollars. Much like the internet, you don't need to know how the blockchain works to use it. However, having a basic knowledge of this new technology tells you why it's considered revolutionary. Picture a spreadsheet that is duplicated thousands of times across a network of computers. Then imagine that this network is designed to regularly update this spreadsheet, and you have a basic understanding of the blockchain. Information held on a blockchain exists as a shared and continually reconciled database. The blockchain database isn't stored in any one single location, meaning the records it keeps are truly public and easily verifiable. Hosted by millions of computers simultaneously, its data is accessible to anyone on the internet. The blockchain network lives in a state of consensus, one that automatically checks in with itself every 10 minutes. A network of nodes makes up the blockchain. Every node has a full copy of the ledger and joins the network voluntarily. Each node has an incentive for processing and verifying transactions, the chance of earning bitcoins, or any other cryptocurrency used by the network. Each group of transactions is referred to as a block. The transactions in a block cannot be corrupted, as altering any information on the blockchain would require your computer to overpower the entire network. In theory, this could be possible. In practice, it's unlikely to happen. This new way to send and verify transactions could make traditional commerce unnecessary. Stock market trades could be instantaneous on the blockchain, or it could keep a fully public record of land registry, or it could host an election. The possibilities are endless. If you aren't convinced about the possibilities of blockchains, we'd like to leave you with this quote from a former US Treasury Secretary. Bitcoin has the same character a fax machine had. A single fax machine is a doorstop. The world where everyone has a fax machine is an immensely valuable thing. Larry Summers. Okay. Now, I hope that makes sense. That is the best and easy explanation that I could find. It is from a YouTube channel called Block Geeks. If you want to truly understand blockchain, I recommend that you look at some of their videos because they're really, really good. And that you and I recommend the book Blockchain in Action by Bina Ramamurthy from Manning Publications. And I'm butching her name, but it's Bina um, is her first name. This is a software book. It might be a guy too, so I apologize. Um, this is a software book, but it gives a great insight into blockchain and it really shows how it works and how you can actually physically use the blockchain. Now, she, it is a she, because I remember looking that up later, she writes in her book um, that a blockchain is a technology for enabling trust in a decentralized system of transacting peer participants. 
The purpose of a blockchain is to verify and validate or reject, if not valid, a transaction initiated by a participant and then execute the transaction and record the proof of these actions with the consensus of the peer participants. So the key here is that it provides trust in a decentralized system. A centralized system is a hierarchical system where the lower level components of the system are controlled by a center controller, kind of how our banking system works. A de- or exactly how our banking system works. A decentralized system is the opposite of this. The complexity of the system emerges from lower level components operating on local information, not on the instructions from a centralized controller. So you may be thinking that this is all good and well, but what does this have to do with the coins or the currency part of it? So once again, I'm going to turn to Block Geeks, and this is going to explain cryptocurrencies. Today, cryptocurrencies have become a global phenomenon known by most people, but understood by few. In 2018, you'll have a hard time finding a major bank, accounting firm, software company, or government that hasn't researched cryptocurrencies or started a blockchain project. Beyond the noise and the press releases, many people often fail to understand the basic concepts. So let's walk through the whole story. What are cryptocurrencies? Satoshi invented Bitcoin in 2008 as a peer-to-peer electronic cash system. To realize digital cash, you need a payment network with accounts, balances, and transactions. That's easy to understand. One major problem every payment network has to solve is to prevent double spending. That is, to prevent one entity from spending the same amount twice. Usually, this is done by a central server who keeps records of all the balances. In a decentralized network, you don't have this server, so you need every single entity of the network to do this job. Every peer in the network needs to have a full list with all the transactions to check if future transactions are valid or an attempt to double spend. But how can these entities keep a consensus about these records? If the peers on the network disagree about one single minor balance, everything breaks. They need absolute consensus. Nobody knew how to achieve this until Satoshi proved it was possible. Cryptocurrencies are a key part of the solution. To illustrate this, we'll look at the transactions on the network. A transaction is a file that says, Bob gives X Bitcoin to Alice and is signed digitally by Bob. Once signed, the transaction is broadcasted to the network, sent from one peer to every other peer. This is standard P2P technology, nothing special happening here. After a specific amount of time, the transaction gets confirmed. Only miners can confirm transactions. This is their job in a cryptocurrency network. They take transactions, stamp them as legitimate, and spread them in the network. After a transaction is confirmed by a miner, every node has to add it to its database. It has to become part of the blockchain. For this job, the miners are rewarded with cryptocurrency, for example, bitcoins. Anybody can be a miner. They just need to use some of their computer's power to qualify for the task. Every miner competes to solve a cryptographic puzzle. After finding a solution, a miner can confirm the transaction and add it to the blockchain. As an incentive to do this, they then receive a payment from the network in the form of a cryptocurrency. In this way, a network of independent actors are economically incentivized to maintain the legitimacy of the transaction history. So that's the gist of it. Cryptocurrencies are the key to the complex digital cash problem that Satoshi solved, how to maintain integrity and consensus across independent and potentially malicious actors. Cryptocurrencies are essentially the monetary incentive offered to anyone willing to keep the network secure. So coins are traditionally created as a payment for mining. This is referred to as proof of work. There is another system called proof of stake. These are the two major ways in which transactions are validated on that blockchain. But before that, before that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. 
Before we went to break, I mentioned that coins are traditionally created as a payment for mining, and this is referred to as proof of work and proof of stake. Now, there is a big difference between proof of work and proof of stake. The good news is someone has a video about that and some audio that we can use that I'm going to play for you right now. So this is the difference between proof of work and proof of stake. Proof of work requires nodes on the network to perform a complex mathematical puzzle, also called mining, as a way of verifying the legitimacy of transactions on the network. This mathematical puzzle has a key feature, asymmetry. The work must be hard for the miner to solve, but easy for the network to check. All the network miners compete to be the first to find a solution through brute force that requires a huge number of attempts. As a reward for verifying these transactions, they're paid cryptocurrency from the network. Once verified, the transactions are placed in a block and appended to the public blockchain. The difficulty of this puzzle increases proportionally to the amount of computing power in the network that is working on the puzzles. That is to say, the more miners there are, the more difficult the network makes it to verify transactions and earn the reward. The competitive nature of the difficulty increase incentivizes miners to optimize their ability to solve the puzzle, and thus, optimize their ability to verify transactions. This makes maintaining the integrity of the network a competitive system with rewards for those that do it well. In order to take over the network, one would have to control 51% of the computing power of the network. Given how large major blockchains are, that would be incredibly difficult, though not impossible. So what is proof of stake? And how is it any better? Proof of stake is still an algorithm, and the purpose is the same as proof of work, but the process is quite different. Unlike proof of work, where the algorithm rewards miners who solve a mathematical problem that creates a new block, the creator of a new block is chosen from a pool of users that have staked a certain amount of cryptocurrency. This means that in the proof of stake system, there is no puzzle to complete, and so no reward for doing so. Instead, the miners take a fee from every transaction. This also means that because nobody is competing to solve every block, there's no massive energy requirement. The penalty for trying to harm the network is the possibility of losing the money you've staked, which could easily be upwards of $10,000. In order to take over a proof-of-stake network, one would need to own 51% of the supply of the cryptocurrency on that chain. This would be a prohibitively expensive undertaking for any major network, and is less likely to happen than controlling 51% of the computing power, something that can already be achieved by mining pools. Proof-of-work miners need a lot of energy to solve their puzzle. Verifying one Bitcoin transaction with proof-of-work requires the same amount of electricity as 1.57 American households use in a day. Proof-of-stake lifts the massive energy requirement from the network in favor of a monetary penalty for bad actors. Developers worried about this energy problem want to switch to the proof-of-stake method for a greener and cheaper form of consensus. So proof of work is a system where a mining rig solves difficult math problems, thus participating in the mining process. So in 2017, when I was looking at a mining rig, it would be built with GPUs and it would run and it would solve these difficult math problems. And then I would be compensated for that or some Bitcoin would be minted and, or not minted, but given to me. Now, when a block is mined, the, the proof of work system sees your contribution and you are awarded for your work. In other words, you receive a certain amount of that cryptocurrency. From their, from their currency, can, then from there, that currency can be bought and sold on an exchange. Now, proof of stake is a system where the coin holder generates new blocks and verifies that payout transaction. However, the question that may come to mind is that you are rewarded in coin with proof of work or proof of stake. The coin in proof of work is in essence created when it is rewarded or mined, but in proof of stake, the coins already have to be in the market to begin proof of stake. So how did they get created? 
Most validation is moving to a proof of stake. Even Ethereum is moving to proof of stake at some point. It should be better for the environment because of the reduction of electricity costs caused by mining for proof of work. This leaves us with a confusing problem though. If the coins are essentially placed into the market when mined, similar to precious metals, then how are coins placed into the market to be held for proof of stake? This happens through what's called an initial coin offering. An ICO is a way for a project to publicly fund their work. They create a token or a cryptocurrency that's needed for their goal, and they sell a portion of it to the public to continue or begin work on a project. So people essentially purchase a token that doesn't necessarily do much yet, but comes backed by a team of a certain pedigree, as well as some hopefully detailed technical plans. One of the key aspects of running a successful ICO came to be the white paper. A white paper is meant to be a marketing tool and to generate hype, but they're also supposed to actually discuss what the project intends to do and how they'll do it. It's not uncommon for white papers to be dense with math, theories, and flowcharts. Once the marketing cycle has put the project out there and the tokens have been generated, the sale can begin. Often, the tokens are sold in exchange for a more established cryptocurrency like Bitcoin or Ethereum. That way, the developers are able to sell portions of their sales and fund their efforts. Using this blueprint, ICOs raised more than $20 billion in 2018 alone. While this is a great way for small projects to find funding from like-minded and passionate people, you may have already seen where the problem lies. ICOs basically require nothing to begin selling. To be totally fair, there have been many valid and successful ICOs that have developed and are developing very useful technology. However, that doesn't change the fact that all you really need to start an ICO sale is a website and some tokens. This has led to many, many scams as bad actors generate fake teams, flashy websites, and worthless tokens in the hopes of fooling people looking for the next big thing. There is practically no oversight or accountability. If I wrote a convincing enough white paper and made a nice enough website, I could potentially raise millions without having any intention of following through with my project, and the people that paid me would have next to no hope of getting their money back. This highlights the importance in the cryptocurrency space of doing your best to research everything that you get involved with and try to make informed decisions. If you aren't totally confident, it's probably best to err on the side of caution. Once you've given your Bitcoin or Ethereum to a project, there's no recourse for you if it turns out that the project you thought you were backing isn't real. So be careful, research teams, think critically about if what you're backing is valuable or possible, and look after your own security first. All in all, the ICO world has been something akin to the Wild West. With a complete lack of regulation, you can find both amazing success stories and equally spectacular failures. I hope that this provides a good understanding of the basics of cryptocurrency. So one of the key takeaways from this is the white paper. This is why I decided to delve into cryptocurrency. Some of these projects are very important. In my opinion, they are so important to the future to a decentralized financial system that is owned and managed by the people. But you as an investor may not be interested in that. So how do you move cryptocurrencies between place to place? Well, you use a crypto wallet. And what is that? Well, it's not going to be any surprise, but BlockGeeks has a video on that. A cryptocurrency wallet is software that stores your private and public keys while interacting with various blockchains. It enables users to send and receive digital currency and monitor their balance. If you want to use Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency, you will need to have a digital wallet. Millions of people use cryptocurrency wallets, but there is considerable misunderstanding about how they work. Unlike traditional pocket wallets, digital wallets don't actually store any currency. In fact, the currencies don't get stored in any single location or exist anywhere in a physical form. All that exists are records of transactions stored on the blockchain. When a person sends you cryptocurrency, they're essentially signing off ownership of their coins to your wallet's address. There is no actual exchange of physical coins. The transaction is signified by the transaction record on the blockchain and a change in balance in your cryptocurrency wallet. There are several types of wallets that provide different ways to store and access your digital currency. Wallets can be broken down into three categories, software, hardware, and paper. 
software wallets are downloaded and installed on a PC, laptop, or mobile device. They're only accessible from the device on which they're downloaded. Software wallets offer a high level of security. However, if your computer or device is hacked or gets a virus, there is the possibility that your wallet will be compromised. Hardware wallets differ from software wallets in that they store a user's private keys on a hardware device like a USB thumb drive. Although hardware wallets make transactions online, they are stored offline which delivers increased security. Making a transaction with them is easy too. Users simply plug in their device to any internet-enabled computer, enter a PIN, send currency, and confirm. Paper wallets are easy to use and provide a very high level of security. A paper wallet can simply refer to a physical copy or printout of your public and private keys. It can also refer to a piece of software that is used to securely generate a pair of keys which are then printed. Transferring Bitcoin or any other currency to your paper wallet is accomplished by the transfer of funds from a software wallet to the public address shown on your paper wallet. If you want to withdraw or spend currency, all you need to do is transfer funds from your paper wallet back to your software wallet. Different wallet types are secure to varying degrees. A web server is a riskier environment to keep your currency compared to offline. Online wallets expose users to any vulnerabilities in the wallet platform that can be exploited to steal your funds. Offline wallets, on the other hand, cannot be hacked because they simply aren't connected to an online network and don't rely on a third party for security. No matter which wallet you use, losing your private keys means losing your money. If your wallet is hacked or you send money to a scammer, there's no way to reclaim lost currency or reverse the transaction. You should store only small amounts of currency for everyday use online and keep the majority of your funds in a secure environment. Offline storage options like Ledger Nano or paper wallets will protect you against computer failures and allow you to recover your wallet should it be lost. Try to keep all of your software up to date so that you have the latest security enhancements available. You should regularly update not only your wallet software, but the software on your computer or mobile device. The more layers of security, the better. Setting complex passwords as well as ensuring any movement of funds requires a password is a good start. Use wallets that have a good reputation and provide extra security layers like two-factor authentication and pin code requirements. Although Bitcoin is the most well-known and popular digital currency, hundreds of new cryptocurrencies have emerged, each with distinctive ecosystems and infrastructure. If you're interested in using many cryptocurrencies, the good news is that you don't need to set up a separate wallet for each. Many wallets have support for several currencies. You just have to choose the right one for you. So, which one is right for you? Do you need a wallet for everyday purchases or just buying and holding digital currency for an investment? Do you plan to use several currencies or just one? Do you require access to your digital wallet from anywhere? Take some time to think about your needs. I think that this should get you started on your cryptocurrency journey. It's important that you know what the blockchain is. It's important that you know what cryptocurrency is. It's important that you know what proof of work and proof of stake are. And it's important that you know what initial coin offering is and how the wallets all work, or what the wallets are, at least at this point. Um, I, I, the reason why I think that this is important, why I started at the beginning of this with the Facebook news, is because we are moving into a metaverse or a, a technological, a more technal, technologically advanced financial system. We're moving into a more technologically advanced world. We're moving into a more technologically advanced social media experience. And I don't want people to be left behind. But in the next episode, I'm going to dive a little deeper into Ethereum. In my opinion, it is the most important uh, crypto company or crypto project other than the blockchain. Talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to The Age of Jeremy. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcatcher. If you can do me a favor, please rate this podcast if your podcatcher allows you to. Talk to you soon.